0: Welcome back to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast. I'm Dr. Michaela Benson. I thought we'd do something a little bit different today. So I asked Paul Hughes, who's the host of Expat Chit Chat, to come onto the show as in his position as a British person who's made their home in Germany, to talk to us a little bit about his experience of moving around Europe and of settling in Germany, as well as perhaps talk about Brexit. So here's over to Paul.
1: Yeah, it's a long old journey, I know that I live in Germany currently now, Uh, however, um, the journey actually started in Amsterdam, so I met a German girl in London who was working for a German company in London. Then we kind of fell in love and she got a job in Amsterdam and we lived in the Netherlands for around eight or nine months, which is fantastic. Uh, Then she got a promotion and moved to Germany, which I was a little less fond about, but it all worked out for the best. I've been in Germany for three years now and I've had some amazing opportunities that I definitely wouldn't have got back in the UK.
0: And you're probably a little bit different, not just in terms of how you got to Germany, but also in terms of what people might expect when they think about British populations who live in Europe. Um, So maybe you could reveal your age.
1: Uh, So I'm 34 years old. And yeah, I think the typical British expat may be um, towards their their mid to late 50s and living somewhere a lot uh, sunnier and a lot warmer than where I live.
0: At least that's what people think the typical uh, Brit abroad is like. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: what they picture in their mind. I think when they when they first see so, yeah. it. But uh, I know I'm not alone here in Germany. There aren't many of us. Uh, I think there's around 200,000 British people living in the whole of Germany out of a population of some 63, 65 million. So we are we are a bit of a rarity, actually.
0: <laughs> so. Let's talk a little bit more about um, the actual like the specifics because I think I think that you lived in Swindon before as well you said that you met your now wife in London but but maybe you could talk us through a little bit more how you know what that journey was like from Swindon to Germany.
1: Yeah so it's quite a long one I've grown up uh, my whole life and been kind of in a people facing role, whether that's sales or account management or training people. And uh, the last job I wound up doing was um, as a kind of project manager for a German company called DB Schenker. And they have offices all around Europe and a big office in London because they're freight forwarders. uh, So they do a lot of logistics. Uh, I was living in Swindon, Uh, had done my entire life. It was the center of my entire universe. I couldn't imagine living anywhere else, because Swindon had everything I needed. Lots of roundabouts. Uh, Lots of roundabouts, yeah, and little else, uh, and a a second-rate football team. But I I loved being there, and I honestly thought it was the centre of the universe. I wasn't particularly well-travelled until I got this job uh, working for Schenker in London, which sent me all around Europe. So I started visiting all these different uh, parts of Europe and thought, oh, this is pleasant, this is a cool job, and uh, bumped into my wife, who was doing an internship at the time. So her being a German... Uh, meant that she could just come over here, take up an internship, begin work, and uh, no problems. And uh, we began dating. Uh, Her internship was set to end, go back to, to Germany. So the summer romance would have been over. And then I realized that actually I quite like this one. And she moved with me to Swindon, <laughs> which didn't work at all. Uh, it did not work at all. I don't think you can take somebody who's lived in Paris and Toronto and London and uh, all these wonderful places and then say, yeah, Swindon is the place where you're where you're going to be now. Um, so eventually she moved out of Swindon to Maidenhead to work for Tesla, uh, the electric motor car company. And within about two months of starting work there, they moved the head office to Amsterdam. So she was most upset because saying, oh, I really like this job and now they're going to move to Amsterdam and it's all going to be over. And I said, well, why would you think that? Why, why would you think it would be over? You should go. This is an amazing opportunity. I had no plans at that time to leave Swindon and go with her. I just thought, right, we'll try a long distance thing. Um, and then in the end, about a month before she went, literally to a, a month before, I was like, "Actually, this sounds like a bit of an adventure. Maybe." Maybe I should come, and henceforth my journey into Europe began
0: so you know in the in the classic migration literature, they would refer to the women who who traveled for their husband's jobs as trailing spouses so. So you would have travelled as a trailing spouse for your wife at that stage, and um, well, well, she was your girlfriend at that stage, I see. But um...
1: she was my she was my girlfriend at that time. Yeah, I was a trailing spouse. When we got to to Germany, my wife told me that it might be a good idea to get married because it's tax advantageous, um, which I think is semi typical of German um, proposals. You know, it's, oh, right. let's get married for tax reasons. And I said, well, I mean, getting married for tax reasons is all well and good, but also you yeah, we kind of love each other. What about that reason? That's a really uh, good reason to get married. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the tax reason as well. At least she was being, you know, financially savvy.
0: Yeah. So you, you up sticks from Swindon and you moved to Amsterdam. Talk to me about that process. And how straightforward was that for you? Um, in terms
1: of paperwork and emigrating and everything else, the transaction or the process was just like moving from Swindon to Birmingham. You know, you still need to tell the council that you're you're moving somewhere else and that you're gonna be on a different electoral roll or whatever, but it just happened to be that we had to take my stuff on a van on a boat uh, to a different country. I didn't realize just how easy it was gonna be. We literally um, got a apartment off of the back of my wife's contract cause she'd already signed the contract. We arrived on the Monday, we cycled our bikes as you know, being Dutch you would do um, to the, the local office. Gave them my passport signed a piece of paper and that was it. I was registered in the Netherlands. Then we had to register for healthcare because I was unemployed at that point and the state will um, provide that at the time. Um, And after a couple of months, I managed to get a job uh, temping with the same company my wife worked at. And again, it's just the same as starting a job in the UK. There's no visa paperwork that you have to fill out. There's no... Checks, no, nothing. It's just exactly the same as if you've got a job in the UK. Hand a turn a up for part. the
0: first day of work.
1: Turn up for the first day of work. They take a scan of your passport, take your bank details and away you go. And also setting up a bank over there is very easy as well. They've got special expat accounts and expat credit cards where you, know, you don't need a credit rating. You don't need any history handed over. You just turn up and say, hi, I'm an expat. I've arrived on this date. Here's my papers. Here's my passport. And they say, here's a bank account and here's a credit card.
0: And just curiosity of of mine, are there different terms for those accounts? than there would be if you were a Dutch national who lived in Holland, opening up a bank account? Um, Not to
1: my knowledge. Um, I assume there may be some differences with overdrafts and things. But as far as I'm aware, um, you know, it's not like, you know, my card was a a visa card that could be used anywhere. Um, it, It wasn't like a limited to any certain uh, transaction amounts or anything like that. So yeah, I think it's exactly the same. The interesting thing to notice is that most credit cards, or I've had two credit cards, one in the Netherlands and one here in Germany, both of them are more like charge cards. So at the end of the month, the whole amount clears off the credit card. It's not like in the UK where you stick £3,000 on it and pay it off over two years. Everything comes off at the end of the month.
0: Now, I remember when I first moved to France for the fieldwork for my for my PhD and noticing how different opening a bank account there was to opening it in the UK and the the types of things that you have to pay for there that I didn't have to pay for in the UK because at that time I had to pay for a debit card in France, which I thought was rather strange having come from the, the era of switch cards in the UK. But um, it's just a different system, isn't it?
1: The banking system in Germany is archaic. It's very decentralized. Uh, So your branch is, they still maintain a personal relationship with you. You know, my branch know who I am because they find the same person who speaks English every time to to help me out. But it's very it's very decentralized. You have to pay every month for your bank account. If you withdraw from a bank that's not yours, you, you can pay in some cases up to €9 euros as a fee to to withdraw from banks that aren't your own, if you can withdraw from it at all. Yeah, it's, everything's uh, paper-based. You know, they're catching up with these apps and things like that going into the 21st century, but they're so security conscious that any ease that you have by using an app is is circumvented by the, the the need to have a tan pin thing that uh sends the transaction for you it's it's uh, quite different they're years behind <laughs> yes there's nowhere that has very rarely will you find anywhere that accepts contactless payment when i go back to the uk i'm like i can pay for anything i want with my card even if it's 20 pence for some chewing gum you know over here you can't a lot of places are still cash only but uh anyway i'm getting right down into the weeds there
0: but that's, but that's kind of, those are the, some of the small things that you might have to get used to if you're living in another country um, that you, you know, when you move there. I think that's, that's part and parcel of that. Um, so, so talk to me about moving from Amsterdam to Germany and then trying to find work in Germany.
1: So, uh, whilst I was in Amsterdam, towards the end, uh, I'd always wanted to be a radio DJ. And towards the end, I kept saying that to to my wife, that, well, I want to be on air. I want to be a radio DJ. How am I going to do that in the Netherlands? She's like, well, have you tried? I said, well, why is there going to be a radio station here in the Netherlands that speaks English. So I Googled it. The first result was the English breakfast radio program of Amsterdam. Um, So I got in contact with them. And two weeks later, I was actually on air as a co-host presenting the sport and whatever, and absolutely loved it. It was great. I said, yeah, no wonder I wanted to do this my whole life. And um, after a few months, the host left the show and was going to ha- pass that over to me so I could become the host. And so I was just about to get my own radio show. And my wife got promoted and said, we're moving to Frankfurt in Germany. <laughs> like, I don't really want to go to Frankfurt in Germany. I live in Amsterdam, like one of the most desirable places to live in the entire world. <laughs> and now you want to ship me off uh, to Frankfurt. And I think the key to notice, uh, the key thing there is that in the Netherlands, everybody speaks English fluently uh, and in Frankfurt a lot of people speak English fluently but not so much that you can just walk into any company and get a job you need the language skills so I was worried about that so when I arrived into um, Frankfurt I knew the first thing I was going to do was try and knuckle down and learn some of the language uh, which I did so when we we moved from Amsterdam to Frankfurt again same process we uh, found an apartment we got a moving company to pick up all our goods drive it to the the new apartment we cycled to the like the, the registry office in the Netherlands signed out to say we're leaving then two days later we signed in in, uh, in Frankfurt Germany at the Standesamt again a painless process maybe 10-15 minutes waiting in a little village Office, sometimes in an old church or in an old town hall, and you sign to say that you've arrived. You hand over your passport, they stamp it, give you a piece of paper back, and away you go. You're in. That's as simple as that. There's no visas, no background checks, no um, police checks, nothing. You just turn up here's my passport. Thank you, Hair Hughes. Here's your paperwork. You've arrived.
0: So it was relatively straightforward then, as what you're kind of describing this process of moving, of crossing borders.
1: It's hugely um, straightforward. It's it's just as pain, you know. It's the same as moving from one town to another in your own country. And I think that another thing to be mindful of when people worry about the migrants coming over and, and abusing the NHS and things like that, you know, you're just as entitled if you move to somewhere else within Europe to do exactly the same thing, I don't mean abuse their healthcare system, but I mean, you can use their healthcare system. When I arrived in Germany, I didn't have a job for the first, um, I would say year here. Uh, So I spent my time learning German, but through that time, my healthcare was paid uh, in part by the government um, so i wasn 't left without health care. eventually we moved me on to my my wife 's plan and off of that because it 's just a uh, better level of care but i wasn 't going to be left here without any health care so that 's good to know
0: yeah it's, a, it's. i mean that's the basically you 're entitled as a European Union citizen to the same um, coverage as people in that country are entitled to. So it's not that you travel with your free NHS healthcare, because NHS healthcare is still free at the point of delivery, but you get into the system on the same terms as a German national would go into the system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I had two choices. I could have just been here in Germany and stayed and hung around with my wife used my NHS European coverage and not told anybody that I had actually made residence in Germany, but we did as soon as possible uh, because things like free healthcare um, and that uh, they're the looking after you in, in those cases. Also, it's easier to find work if you're sending CVs off and you're registered here so Uh, but regardless I didn't find I didn't find paid work for a year I found a volunteer opportunity within around six months of being here and this was on a radio station the American Forces Network Good Morning Vietnam that kind of fame and we've got an equivalent in the UK called BFBS and uh, I started volunteering there for uh, pretty much a year I would say just short of a year Uh, And after that, I got hired uh, to do the job there, which was a battle in itself, which I'm sure we'll get into a little later.
0: So, so talk to me about that process of trying to find work in Germany, because I think that's also a little bit different to what people might expect.
1: It's different and it is difficult. You're going to struggle, nay, find it nearly impossible unless you're some kind of self-employed person or you've got your own business. You know, I meet a lot of self-employed graphic designers or writers. You know, I don't meet any expat uh, factory workers and things like that so the level of education you need for jobs in Germany is enormous the language skills that you need you need at least b1 to even be considered and even then you're going to be battling up against native speaking uh, Germans as well so it isn't easy to come here and just find work you will meet a lot of people that are here because their companies are here and they send them over so they they learn german as a more of a courtesy than a need but the one big thing really is education so if i if i give you an example my brother is um a dealer principal for lexus now he got that role uh, he doesn't have a, a university degree i think he he only has a, a year or so of college but he was a damn good car salesman. Um, Not only was he a damn good car salesman, he was a very good leader uh, of people and he was made a sales manager at Peugeot, then he was a sales manager at Audi, now he's a dealer principal at Lexus. Um, A job like that here in Germany, you would absolutely not be able to get it without a degree in finance or economics or a huge back catalog of study. It doesn't matter if you've done it for 20 years and you're perfect for it, If you're not qualified for it in Germany, you don't get to do it.
0: So that's really different.
1: Yeah, because I think a lot of the positions that I've done, you know, I always worked my way up through the ranks. I always uh, was very successful. And I did that on the back of um, one year of college. Uh, I went back into study when I was around 30 years old, Um, but I didn't have a very good education. But I did get paid very well and I was a good I was a senior manager in, um, in a number of different companies here I wouldn't be able to do that for instance when I tried to take the radio job that they basically created for me that I'd been doing for an entire year when it came to the application process and I sent it through they initially rejected me because I didn't have the correct qualifications so it's, we don't need the qualifications. I, you know, I know the hiring manager. The hiring manager is talking to the German company as well and saying, well, he's been doing the job for a year. He's the only candidate. We want him to have the job. So yes, but he doesn't have a sufficient qualification. <laughs> but, but you're not understanding us. He's been doing the job for a year. He has sufficient experience. We know he can do it. We've seen him do it. So I wasn't some guy on the street. I wasn't some unknown. I'd been doing it for a year. But in their eyes, I wasn't qualified to do it. And therefore, I wasn't going to be able to get to do it. I actually got it on a technicality because we do one more year of school in the UK than Germany does. It was a complete technicality. They're like, how many years of school did you do? And so I added up, I'm like, I've done 12 years of school and one year of college, so like 13 years of school. So they went back to their calculators and it turns out that in Germany, they do 11 years of school. Um, So I'd done one extra, which put me on the university entrance (laughs) level of education, which I thought was amazing. So if it wasn't for that technicality, just a sheer technicality, I wouldn't have got the job that I'd been doing for a year.
0: Yeah. So kind of moving onwards, it's 2017. Britain looks like they are going to be withdrawing from the European Union. What does Brexit mean for your life?
1: Um, It's hard to say at the moment. The, The immediate impact is that I have to learn... German because the immediate impact is that I will aim to take dual nationality. Uh, To do that, you need to have lived here for three years, been married for two and have the German integration certificate, which is a level B1 in language, uh, and then sit a test, which is all about their laws and rules and lifestyle.
0: A little Um, bit like the citizenship test in the UK.
1: Yeah, I think they, they, they introduced... Basically on the back of the fact that everybody else had one um, and we didn't. So once I've done that, I can apply for dual nationality because we're in the European Union. If we leave the European Union, I suspect I will not be able to have dual nationality, which means I either stay British and then I don't know how I stay here in Europe, whether I have to get visas or... Or what or I give up my British passport and take a German one so that I can stay here but uh, yeah so uh, the immediate impact on my life is probably a bit more serious than uh, if I'd stayed in Swindon but the long-term impact is entirely unknown and nobody seems to be able to answer any questions
0: yeah I mean how does that make you feel
1: it makes me feel that even more so that nobody really knows the answers nobody knows what's going to happen we're a little bit forgotten. But then, you know, I don't expect the government to really take care of me. It's not like um, I feel that they've they've looked after my interests much over the last 20 years. So I, it's not it's, it's not like I was expecting them to, to leap out and save all the, the expats overseas. Because I don't know any of them have ever done that. Have if, if any of them ever been expats overseas? Do they understand the plight? Do they know the uncertainty? It's not just... Um, you know me I'm here with my wife Uh, we're pretty flexible she's highly educated and, and you know could get employed everywhere but there are expats here with families with you know kids in German schools that speak German what happens to them do they have to take German nationality now do they have to take some sort of dual nationality test what you know the impact for them is potentially bigger but I can't say it's unexpected it just shows it just throws a light on the fact that nobody really knows what is going on and uh, Nobody knows what the priorities are. and Nobody really knows what's going to to happen. That's, you know, unless you believe the experts, which they say it's all doom and gloom, but who listens to experts anymore? This is uh, 2017. I've got Facebook. I don't need experts.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I suppose it's quite, I, I think that's quite a measured response in many ways. Um, this idea that, you know, that you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, and... I suppose the other thing you're kind of trying to say is that you'll find a way through it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when ever since I met my wife, that kind of has really expanded. You know, I've always been very self-sufficient, self-motivated. If I lose a job, don't worry, I'll find another one. We'll, we'll always be able to keep going. There are people here that are a lot more doom and gloom about it. They they own property here. They can't believe that their government has abandoned them and that, uh, you know, they can't believe that uh, the Brexit vote went through and like I say it's I was being facetious obviously about the the experts and saying that it's all doom and gloom but that's how it feels from us here looking back to the UK and seeing the the news headlines and the way the Germans talk about it you just think this is a complete disaster how did the British public ever find it within themselves to vote this way and then I realized like well actually had this been me in Swindon 20 years ago when I was um you know when it was the center of my universe I didn't know what Europe was doing for me I don't know how they were they were helping me live my life or create stability I had no idea so I wouldn't have cared you know, I wouldn't have cared if the UK would have left the EU, I guarantee it. Um, and I think that's the problem, is that it's a lot of people's views, they feel disconnected from it. And then you have the older generations that um, want to take the country back and remember some far-flung good old day, which probably wasn't, and they voted to to leave. And, and from the public's view here, when you speak to Germans, they want to talk about it. I cannot say that I wouldn't have been on the other side of the vote had this been... Fifteen years ago, and I was living in Swindon. But now, you know, I really, I really see it. But it, it's a taboo subject. You know, well, you argue with people incessantly with it about uh, the subject on Facebook, uh, around the dinner table. You know, it's a taboo subject. We can't bring it up, and if it does come up, we have to quickly change the subject because it's it's just going to result in an argument. I've never seen you know families and lives so polarized and so opposed on on these views.
0: I think that yes I'm sure that you and I could talk about this for a very long time (laughs) but thank you very much Paul for actually lending your voice to our podcast um, and talking a little bit about your experience of being British moving first to Amsterdam and then to Germany um, and, and what that's like from your point of view so thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah no problem at all thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast. If you've enjoyed what we've been talking about today and want to find out more, check out our website www.brexitbritsabroad.com or you can follow us on social media via Twitter at BrexPatsEU and on Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And I'll speak to you again soon.